All right, let me, uh, let me begin today. Sorry, I got a lot to say, so I know they're still passing the plate, but I want to make sure that I, I get this in. Let me begin with a huge expression of appreciation. I do not take lightly the fact that you as a church have granted me uh, five and a half, six weeks off. I know many pastors who wish that they had a church that loved them and appreciated them the way that you do me and my family. So I say to you, thank you. Uh, no doubt it was refreshing, it was relaxing, and I think it was really good for my kids to have their dad around for much of the summer. I especially want to take a moment and say thank you to those who filled in so well during my absence, to the staff, to the retired ministers, and to the laymen who preached and taught over the last six weeks and those who generally loved on this congregation, I am incredibly grateful for each of you. You are a blessing, and it makes it a whole lot easier to go away when you know that the church is in really good hands. I also want to take a moment. Where's she at? Billy Fay, where are you at? All right. It has been a year and a half since Billy Fay has been able to be in service with us. And I just want you to know we love you, and I am so glad that you're here with us this morning. So, Now, in the coming weeks, I'm really looking forward to being able to share with you some of the things that I learned through my sabbatical. But today, I do want us to focus on our freedom for a little bit, especially as we celebrate uh, our National Independence Day. So uh, happy 4th of July. I mentioned earlier that there is great freedom, and I love our nation, and we should celebrate the freedom that we have, but the freedom we have is truly only because of God's blessing. As much as we look back at our forefathers, and I'm going to talk a little bit of, uh, about some of that, as much as we look at this great land and some of the prosperity that is here, all of that is secondary to the blessing of God. If God does not bless our land, none of this really matters. The question for me today is not whether or not you are patriotic, but rather what will you do with the blessing which God has given to you? What are you doing with what you have received? How are you using your freedom and blessing to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ? On April 19, 1775, the Revolutionary War began, but few actually sought to be completely free from Great Britain. Instead, they sought concessions specifically related to taxation. But as time passed, the people began to realize that a little bit of freedom was actually no freedom at all. So by January of 1776, remember we started back in 1775, by January of 1776, Virginia delegate to the First Continental Congress, Richard Henry Lee, proposed a complete separation of powers from Great Britain. The formal vote of the First Continental Congress would take place on July 2nd. And two days later, it would be ratified with the signatures from each of the 13 colonies as they signed the Declaration of Independence. You know, as I consider the journey from British oppression to freedom, 
I am reminded of a group of Jewish slaves who also sought freedom, but in this case, from Egyptian oppression, as recorded in the book of Exodus. When Moses first approached Pharaoh, he sought concessions, very similar to what the American people wanted from Great Britain. He sought a little bit of freedom. He wanted to take the people of Israel out to offer sacrifices to their God. And of course, they would return to still be slaves in Egypt. But through a period of likely months, God would cause the people to recognize that they needed more than concessions. They needed freedom. And so when the final plague falls upon the Egyptian oppressors, the Israelites are sent out with a clean break from their captors. Ironically, there would be those among the Israelites who would later long for those days in captivity. Let's go back to the good old days where we know exactly what to expect and we know exactly what others will expect of us, even if that means giving up our freedom. But what they found in freedom was beautiful. It included hope and promise. It included the opportunity to live and to love in ways that they likely had never imagined before. For certain, freedom is a beautiful thing. But freedom is not something that just happens. Among the Israelites' journey to freedom, we see that the journey leading up to their freedom, and even afterwards, was often very difficult. As Moses introduced new plagues, Pharaoh introduced additional suffering upon the Israelites. And even after they triumphantly left Egypt, they would fear for their lives and at times question whether they had made the right decision. In the history of the United States and our journey to independence, we too would face great battles along the way. I told you that the Revolutionary War really began April 19th. 1775, when they were looking for their concessions. But it didn't end until September 3rd, 1783, a full seven years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. In addition, freedom would not be immediately made available to all those who lived in the Americas. This journey would be long and it would be hard. But today we do celebrate the freedom that has been granted to us in this great land. I would just add one other thought about the celebration of Independence Day here. I know that there are those within the church that would rather us ignore such national holidays. There's, there's actually a move within the Christian church today uh, to ignore anything that is more connected to our nation rather than to the church. And I get it. Actually, a part of it's because the church sometimes has gotten things a little bit backwards. There have been times that the church has become so focused on our national origin. We've become so focused on all of the things that we have as a country. We are more loyal to the nation than we are to Christ. And that is a problem. 
I want to make that very clear. Again, I said it earlier, I am very patriotic. I love our land. I am very grateful for the freedoms that we have. But the freedoms that we have pale in comparison to the freedom that we have in Christ. And the freedom that we have here in the United States is only made possible because of what Jesus Christ has blessed us with. The fact is, God has been very, very good to us. Today, I do not simply celebrate a nation that is free, but I celebrate the God who gave us a nation that is free. There are many other nations in the world that are filled with very good people, people who genuinely want to be godly people. I wonder, why would God bless us the way he has blessed us? The only idea that I can come up with is with great blessing also becomes great responsibility. God expects that we would use the blessings that we have as a nation and as a people to do good for the entire world. The people of Israel are actually given a promise. I know we're not the people of Israel. The people of Israel are given a promise that you will bless all nations. I believe that God expects us to be a blessing to those around us and the nations that are in need around us. Well, here I am. I'm at least 10 minutes into my sermon, and I haven't even gotten to the text. So we're going to go ahead and get to our biblical text this morning. Um, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John in chapter 8. It is a somewhat familiar passage probably to most of you, but often the stories run together on us, especially as Jesus was often amazing the people by what he said and what he did. Earlier in this chapter, we see the woman who's been caught in adultery. And of course, she certainly experienced a, a bit of freedom on that particular day. She is restored. She is empowered to go out and to sin no more. This woman who experienced public humiliation was just moments away from a public execution, is given a new lease on life and freedom to be something greater than she ever imagined possible. And then between her story and our text today, beginning in verse 31, we see a little bit of a, a contentious back and forth between Jesus and some religious folks they seem content to either trap Jesus with his words or just to fight about theology. You know anybody like that? Individuals who just want to fight constantly. They want to, they, they want to find anything you say and be able to twist it to be able to fight about theology. By the time we get to our passage, you can almost sense the feeling of exasperation on both sides. Jesus isn't saying what these individuals want him to say, while Jesus' followers are probably just wanting this, these religious windbags to go away. So Jesus, controlling the direction of the conversation, addresses his followers. Note that he's not addressing everybody else here. He stops the back-and-forth conversation with these individuals. Certainly they can still hear what's being said, but now he's addressing those who are actually hanging on his every word. Look at it beginning in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I'm going to tell you, this is a very encouraging passage. This is a really hard passage too. There are things in here that we look at and we think, yeah, I like that. Then there are parts of it that we just kind of skip over because I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it, nor do I understand it. What Jesus is doing here is he is giving his followers as well as the naysayers who are in his midst, a roadmap to true freedom. When I say freedom, I'm not talking about a national freedom, although his original audience apparently didn't get that either. Instead, I'm talking about a freedom that will last well beyond the normal cycle of a nation. In his 1976 essay entitled The Fate of Empires, General Sir John Glubb analyzed the life cycles of civilizations. He found remarkable similarities between them all. Most have lasted around 250 years, 10 generations or so. Well, if that's the case, then our nation is only about five years from the end of its life cycle. On the one hand, this should serve as a reminder to all of us that the freedoms that we have, the freedoms that we experience here in America, they are becoming more and more fragile. And the time will likely come if that life cycle proves to be true, that we will lose many of those freedoms. But more than that, The message that I want you to hear is that I don't want a freedom that will only last another five years or so. I want a freedom that will last for all eternity. So how do we get that? The first thing that Jesus says is that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, this will lead into the second point in just a moment, but I want to camp out here for just a few moments. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. What does Jesus mean when he instructs the people to abide in his word? As Jesus addresses his original audience here, it should be noted that they didn't have the four Gospels written down for them in a book format, followed by the letters of Paul. Paul is not even on the scene yet. But these texts were generally maintained typically in a house of worship. They had the Old Testament, and that was it. And then they had Jesus, who comes along and he speaks. So what do you mean by abide in his word? easiest way to answer this question is to say that he wanted them to dwell on every word that came from his mouth. Everything that he said, pay attention. By the way, there are many who have gathered simply to hear Jesus speak. They're doing that right now. 
much like the woman who had been caught in adultery. She had already found out Jesus' words could bring life. At times, they would bring physical life to those who had already died. But they would also bring hope and purpose like nobody else could bring. It should be noted that Jesus' promise is that abiding in his word would make you a disciple. I don't want to get too deep in this point today, as I'll be looking at some of this in the next couple weeks. But I fear that there are many in the church who would define themselves as disciples, yet they do not genuinely abide in Jesus' words. Yet Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you will be my disciples. Let me take this as an opportunity to challenge you, to implore you this week to truly be his disciple. Get into his word. Make it a priority. Study it. Apply it to your life. Dwell on it continually. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. It's what God expects of us. He adds that when you abide in his word and when you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is a bit of a a funny statement simply because it's been used throughout the years to mean different things. When an individual is accused in a legal matter, sometimes They're actually encouraged this, as they claim their innocence, they're encouraged to use this verse. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I know you say you're innocent, but are you really innocent? It's okay. Once people know the truth, the truth will set you free. Or an individual may be trying to get someone else to come clean about what they've done, to admit what they've done. So they'll use this verse to encourage transparency which leads to freedom from their guilt. So go ahead and tell the truth, and when you know the truth, then you'll be set free. I would suggest that regardless of how others have used this statement, the verse is still very much accurate. There's a lot more to what Jesus is saying here in this moment. To begin with, as Jesus is talking about knowing the truth, Jesus is already very much aware of the fact that he is defined as the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he's not just talking about something that is factual and accurate. He is declaring that if you know Christ, then you will know freedom. You will know truth. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin, freedom from eternal judgment, from spiritual oppression, from spiritual defeat. You may still have to deal with other types of bondage in this life, but if you know Jesus, if you know the truth, then you will know freedom. This is very much in keeping with the nature of God, by the way. He came to set his people free. But it's interesting that his original audience don't get it. They question him over it. The passage says that they asked Jesus, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Apparently, they couldn't see beyond their current generation. The fact is, Israelites had a history of slavery. 
As I mentioned already, they had been slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. And slavery was even an acceptable part of their own governmental system. One of the things that I was reading about over the past month or so was the disbursement of land among the Israelite people and how that land was intended to be a forever allotment. So imagine that you got this land and through poor business decisions or maybe even poor moral choices, you find yourself indebted to someone else. According to Jewish law, such an individual could surrender his land and become a slave to his debtor. But such a role, such a reallotment of land was always intended to be temporary. You see, the Jews celebrated something that was called the year of Jubilee. This would happen basically once every about 50 years. When the year of Jubilee would take place, all freedoms would be restored and all rights to land would be returned to the original holder of the land. You see, God had always longed to set his people free. If you truly know Jesus, you will know the freedom that he offers to us. Well, Jesus responds to their question, what do you mean? What, what do you mean we can be free? And in doing so, he calls them to absolute purity. Look what he says. I read it once already, but it says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I want to focus on Jesus' second sentence here, and then we'll come back to the first one. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Within this statement, we see the image of a home that is filled with both sons and slaves. As such, they both reap the benefits from being welcomed into the house. But their roles are very, very different. The son is considered family. The son will one day inherit what the father leaves him. The son will always be welcome. But the slave is not quite as welcome. Oh, sure, he's welcome because he provides a service that makes life easier within the household. But there's no sense of loyalty. If another slave comes along who can do the job better than the original slave, then he can always be replaced. And it's quite likely that when the father is gone, that the son will receive everything and the servant will simply become the servant of another master. Again, they may live in the same household, but with very different standing. I wonder how many Christians have been welcomed into the house of God, yet they are unsure of their standing within the family. I wonder how many have come in as slaves instead of accepting the offer to come in as sons and daughters of the Most High God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, trying their best to serve the family, 
to do the things that the master might approve of instead of being a part of the family. By the way, the family serves too. Often, I'm not going to call out a specific kid in my family. There are times that I've joked with my kids that that's why we have kids. Usually it's when we're talking about chores. There are things that need to be done. Someone needs to do the dishes. Someone needs to cook. Somebody needs to do the laundry. Someone needs to get up and go get something out of the fridge for dad. And that's when the kids say, I feel like I'm just a servant or just a slave. Well, you know what? If you're part of the family, you still got to serve like everybody else. There is that expectation that you will serve. And here you are, you are a part of the body of Christ. There is an expectation that we will serve, but we also know that there is a standing that is unique for us. Because here we are, we are in the body of Christ. We are a part of the family. I wonder how many of us look the part of a son, yet we continue to be nothing more than slaves in this family. We continue to voluntarily remain enslaved by sin. Jesus said that we can be set free, and I believe that today. But it's the first sentence that Jesus says here that really creates a problem for many of us. I know it does for me. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. One of the reasons this is such a struggle for us is that far too many of us have simply resigned ourselves to the fact that we will sin. There's good logic to this. We know that we've all sinned. And 1 John 1 addresses the fact that we will all sin. But if we confess our sin, then he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I get why this is a hard statement. But listen also to the words of 1 John 3, verse 4 through 6. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Did you hear that? Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. Wow. What is wrong with me? I've been a Christian now for Many years, it was the summer of 1990 that I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Yet I still struggle with sin. What is wrong with me? I would imagine I'm not the only person who has ever thought that way. Let me suggest to you that we can be set free from sin, but the fact that we are not yet finished products should not be all that surprising to us. By the way, that's not an excuse to continue in your sin. The scriptures very clearly define to us 
in 1 John 1, in 1 John 3, that if we are in Christ, we should not continue in that sin. But we are works in progress. The extreme response to this problem of sin is to either lean so heavily on grace that we no longer seek the holiness of God, or for us to become so devoted to the discipline of holiness that grace no longer has room to work in our lives. Neither are healthy for the believer. We need grace. When we sin, it is God's grace that makes up for our failure, our sin. Because we were not good enough on our own, Jesus paid the price for your sins and for mine. He became the agent of grace so that all of our sins could be forgiven. Should we continue to sin so that grace might increase even more? No, we should stop sinning. That should be a part of our past. But that being said, when sin does enter in, there is grace. And we should embrace the fact that God is a God of grace. But we also need discipline. We should never be content with remaining in our sin. It's just the way I am. It's the way I've always been. It's okay. Other people sin too. I'm just like everybody else. No. We need discipline. We ought to continually be looking to serve God more faithfully today than we did yesterday. That means purposing in our hearts that we will walk in holiness and never being okay with compromise. We do need the, to heed the words of Gerald May, a guy who wrote a book entitled Addiction and Grace. He noted that no amount of discipline and personal sacrifice, however, however well it might be practiced, can be the source of liberation. You can try to be disciplined and you can try to work hard, but that doesn't necessarily bring freedom. All the discipline in the world does not bring freedom in Christ. In other words, you can't be devoted enough to no longer need grace. It's just not possible. What we need in the body of Christ is a, a balance of both grace and discipline. I fear that there are many in the church that have chosen the extremes on this issue. They say, well, I, I can live however I want because the grace of God will make up for it. And I can choose to look at that pornography or I can choose to be in this relationship that doesn't really honor God. I can choose to say things at work and I can do all kinds of things with my money and I can do this and I can do that. And it's okay because God's grace will make up for it. I am so grateful for the grace of God, but don't take it for granted. Then you have others that have been so caught up in the discipline of doing what's right. The Wesleyan Church has a history of legalism, and it's something that in many ways has become a stumbling block to the church. We've tried so hard to be good enough so that somehow God might accept us. Because now I've lived up to the standard that I need to live up to. And I challenge you. I challenge you to be disciplined. But to recognize 
It's not where you stand that makes you welcome in the body of Christ. It's what Christ has done that brings you to that standard. It's his grace and your discipline working together. I invite you today to experience the freedom that can only come from Jesus Christ. I invite you into this discipline. I invite you into this grace. Some of you today are desperately in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. As you came today, you recognize that there are sins in your life that do not belong, and you have allowed them to remain. It is time for you to come under the grace of Jesus Christ. There are others today that you have tried to be good enough, and you need grace to step in for you. Some of you have not had any discipline whatsoever. It is time to begin to walk a disciplined, holy life. All of it's available to you. When you experience it. There are some, some in here today are dealing with sexual sin. Some are dealing with addictive sin. Some are dealing with things that they say that are completely inappropriate. Gossiping, complaining, cursing. I want you to know God can set you free. So I've tried to break free. I've tried to get loose. I don't want to be like that anymore. Let's allow the Lord Jesus Christ to set you free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, we do recognize that you are the one who is able to set us free. We recognize that you are the one who can take our brokenness and make us whole. You are the one who can take when we have fallen short and bring us to a point where we understand and we no longer fear the presence of God because your grace has made up the difference. Father, I pray for each individual who is here today, Lord, that we would know your grace. I also pray that, you would know, that we would know the discipline that is required to walk in a way that honors you. Lord, when we fall short, we depend on that grace, so we say thank you. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to never be content with falling short. Lord, help us to continually press on to take hold of what you have made available to us. Lord, we live in a land that has all kinds of freedoms, but many of those freedoms we may never truly experience because, well, we just never really thought of them. There are places around our land that we could go, but we'll never go because we like being where we're at. There are things that we could do that we will probably never do because it just doesn't cross our minds. Lord, I wonder today if there aren't people in the body of Christ who have freedom available to them, yet they have chosen to remain where they are, not taking advantage of that freedom. Lord, I wonder today if there are people in the church they're still struggling with addiction just because that's what other people are dealing with. And it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. And it's not something that other people are even aware of. But they're dealing with that addiction on a daily basis. And here you are, you're saying, be set free. Others are dealing with sexual sin. And they just sweep it under the carpet. They feel guilty afterwards, and they feel this overwhelming sense of defeat. And here you are, you're saying, but I can set you free. Lord, I pray today that you would grant freedom 
And I pray that we would take hold of it and embrace it. Whatever sin has plagued us, Lord, I pray from this moment forward that you would set us free. Every head bow and eye closed this morning. Perhaps you would say, Pastor, I've been living in sin and I want so much to be set free. And I need God to move in such a mighty way that that sin will no longer have a grip on my life. Pastor, I need you to pray for me. Would you simply raise your hand right where you're at? Put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we come before you today. Lord, I pray for the individuals who just raised their hand, declaring that they have been identified. They have borne the burden of slavery. Slavery to sin. Lord, thank you that you are still the God of freedom, a God that desires to set your people free. Lord, I pray right now that you would set us free, that you would give victory, that we would no longer be identified by our sinful past, by the bondage that claimed us for so long. But Lord, I pray that from this moment forward, we would walk in the freedom that's been made possible through Jesus Christ. Change who we are. Allow the world to see people that know what life is. May we know the truth better than we know anything else. May we know the truth of your word, the truth of your son. Lord, I pray that you would set us free today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is a blessing to be able to share with you today, and I am really excited. I will say this, just I, I think I got a couple minutes here, so it's okay. I was worried that I, I was going to go way too long today, and I didn't want to do that. <clears throat> I will say this, just a humorous thing. Um, I tried to stay disconnected as much as possible while I've been gone, uh, although I did hear about different things. I had to come back, uh, participate in a funeral here, and um, someone had sent a picture. Okay, so the pastor goes out of town, and it looks like things are falling apart. Someone messed up our driveway out here. There was a hole out here in the foyer that had to be fixed. The air conditioning's out. Another, I'm thinking, man, the pastor's not allowed to go out of town anymore. Actually, you were in really good hands. I did not. Actually, he's back there. Good. Um, as much as I am grateful for all the people who have led over the last six weeks, Pastor Lee has taken on a significant amount of additional responsibility in kind of being the figurehead over the last six weeks. I am so grateful for his leadership and his willingness to serve. He's got someone behind him right now that's got his hands up over his head and it's going like that. Uh, so anyways, Pastor Lee, thank you so much for what you've done to allow me that time to get away. So. My hope is that every one of you will come back tonight as we celebrate the 4th of July and we do some fireworks out here in front of the church, and it'll be a great opportunity for fellowship. One thing when you come tonight, they mentioned if you would come in the Old Shirley Road exit, which is over here on my left, your right. Uh, so we do ask that. We are going to have this portion of the parking lot actually blocked off. The fire marshal came out, told us exactly where we need to set up the fireworks and everything. So you will not only not be able to come in this entrance on this side, but that whole section will be blocked off. So we're going to have everyone parked over on this side. Uh, we did a little bit of a dry run last night. 
uh, you will be able to see fireworks and you will love what you see because uh, the staff has done a great job of getting everything ready. I think Pastor Lee's cousin is going to help him out a little bit with some of the uh, disbursement of fireworks. It'll be a great time. Come join us tonight. Uh, we'll start probably about 9.15. Thank you for being with us this morning and go in peace. <laughs>